Of course, the sound that you're hearing there is one of the biggest stories of the year for ClarkCountyToday.com. The teacher strike that dragged on from the summer into the early part of the school year and delayed the start of school. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. This is the Insider from ClarkCountyToday.com. I'm Chris Brown along with Jacob Graneman. How's it going? Good. Episode two. Episode two. And it is unbelievably the end of 2018 i thought it would never never come to a close <laughs> isn't it that way every year it's like how did it end so quickly and why did it drag on so long <laughs> I, I know it's it's really strange it really is so obviously clarkcountytoday.com we are i think we just celebrated our second birthday yeah uh, a couple of months ago so a couple, yeah not, not too long still ago still a fairly new endeavor um but it was a big year i mean in terms of if you look at our our facebook Followship. I think we went from just under two thousand to almost five thousand. Yeah, forty five hundred plus uh, now within the year. So thank you everybody who's uh, followed us on our social media platforms. Greatly appreciated. Also on Twitter and uh, Instagram, you can follow there and see when news stories are posted. But yeah, it's been a big year, and we wanted to kind of go back and look at some of the big stories that have come out over the year, and and the way that we're ranking these here for the podcast. Uh, if you go to ClarkCountyToday.com, our editor Ken Vance has put together a great sort of recap with some of the big political stories. We wanted to kind of look at the ones that maybe weren't the stories that affected the most people, sure, but were the stories that sort of got the most reaction yeah. on social media and on our website and really got people talking. Definitely got pushed to the top and yeah. recognized. Yeah, and obviously the teacher strike story was a was a huge one. We're going to get to that uh, here in our top five list of the top stories from the year. Uh, where did you want to start, Jacob? We can start with uh, sort of uh, the growth um, element of the, the county and where we've, where we've uh, kind of reached recently. I think it's interesting just looking at how the county is dealing with, with the growth, um, with po the population and how to deal with infrastructure mm -hmm. and how the state has kind of handed down um, some ways to do that. And so I know that we've we've covered this um, in a couple of ways, uh, primarily in, in Ridgefield. Uh, there's been some developments there. Yeah, a few. <laughs> Just <laughs> few. a few in, in reality and uh, figuratively. Yeah, so. that was one. Of, I started in February here, and that was one of the first stories they sent me. Go out to Ridgefield. It's, it's blowing up out there. So we talked to... Steve Stewart, the uh, city manager. We talked to Nathan McCann, the superintendent of the schools. We toured the new, um, the new school building that they had just it's massive. now finished, but and they still uh, have a sports complex that's still being constructed, I believe, yeah. across the street there. We just did an update recently where they put another bond building bond uh, for the schools on the ballot for February because they need more money to do phase three, I think, of four now for all the growth. I mean, I think they're expecting something like four. 4,200 more kids. I might be New overstating students. that, well, you know, in I the know. next like five years. Sure. Uh, that's how explosive the growth has been out there. So we did that. Uh, it's interesting to revisit Clark County. So, you know, obviously we had the recession in 2008. So sure. there had been explosive growth up to that point. I grew up in Battleground. Battleground just exploded. And then around 2008, obviously the recession hit and everything sort of paused. Yeah. And then... It took, I think, Clark County a little longer than some other places, longer than Portland to sort of crawl out of that recession. But around like 2012, 2013, everything started accelerating. And then you really saw it explode in 2016, 2017. The local housing market just blew up. 
prices skyrocketed because you didn't have enough inventory. Mm -hmm. I think you saw a saturation in the market in Portland, and then a lot of folks looked to move over here. So that sort of led into what we'll talk about next, the transportation growth Definitely. And, and those issues. So it's a many-pronged thing. And do you, so, do you think that there's a specific area of the county that's experiencing a greater influx of growth? If you had to pick a, a compass direction, um, what <laughs> North County say? is is huge. Definitely, yeah. the center with the LNA Casino um, yeah. is going to be exploding here soon. Ridgefield is set to explode. They've got the new Boshima Farms, uh, Clark College campus. That's yeah, we've set been to talking about forever rolling out. I mean, that's still going to be you know a number of years away before that's done. Port of Ridgefield has a ton of plans. They've started laying dark fiber line out that way so that they can attract a lot of tech businesses. We also have the uh, the Vancouver waterfront is a massive new it's development amazing. in downtown. Um, I've been there numerous times, um, and it's, it's actually quite humorous. I have uh, a community of friends that are all photographers and visual uh, content creators, and they're just down there <laughs> routinely over now. And, um, and, and I mean, we actually, we did a story recently on um, a potential ferry service that's being looked at primarily by folks in, in uh, Portland, um, but it would connect to Vancouver um, if, if it is, uh, if it's approved. And one of the things they even mentioned is the, the motivator is to get people to and from that waterfront, um, that it's just a, a massive new development. Uh, and I believe they're still working on uh, there's at least one large water feature that's going to improve the the park area there. Uh, there's a couple of uh, like out front restaurants that are just sort of like pull up and mm -hmm. take your food um, that are have yet to open, I believe. Um, so that's a tremendous development as well. We did a couple of stories about Port of Vancouver. Port of Vancouver yeah. wants to do a lot of stuff with their Terminal 1 site right next to the Interstate Bridge. They want to bring in a public market and change all of that. They've got approval to build... I think 168 room, 163 room hotel. Yeah. Um, the ferry actually wants to make use of Terminal One as well. So yeah. it's a very coveted piece of and that's, uh, development. That's an you know that's another project that's going to be a long term project. Definitely. But it ex it explains a little bit of sort of what's going on, where you've got an area that's growing up, and there's a lot of discontent that goes along with that. We hear a lot of it when we post these stories, right? And sure. We're just writing. We're just telling you what's going on. We're not taking a stand on that. That's that's your job, but we do hear a lot of folks that get really upset about the growth that comes in. I understand that. I grew up around here. I was born and raised in this area. Definitely, it has changed hugely in the years that I've been alive. <laughs> it it is completely different from what I remember, and that's not always a bad thing. I'm I tend to be one of those kind of people who I realize growth is going to happen. If you get discovered, you get discovered. Sure. If you're if you're somebody who years ago was had enough foresight to buy 50 acres or 100 acres when it was cheap, then you've got developers knocking on your door now saying, "I know you're close to retirement and we'd like to give you 3.4 million dollars for this acreage." What are you going to do? You know, and then there's a certain amount of responsibility that the county and the various municipalities have to responsibly allow that growth to happen to try and to make sure that the infrastructure is in place and all of that. And you can make all kinds of arguments all day long about whether they're doing that the right way or the wrong way. But sure. the, the fact of the matter is that we have a beautiful area with a lot of amenities and prox close proximity, I mean, to Seattle, to Portland, to a lot of things, to wilderness and the beach. We've been discovered. 
So the next question is, how do you manage that? And so it's been very fascinating over the course of the last year, and we'll continue to follow it to see how it's being managed and what kind of project projects are coming in and what kind of benefit or problem might that present to the people who live here. It's now 440 some thousand, I believe, expected to increase to over 600,000 people in Clark County by the year 2035. It's right around the corner. We've been discovered, yeah. right? You know, so what's that going to mean to uh, a lot of things? What's it going to mean to number four on our list? Yeah. Transportation, the I-5 bridge, tolling that's going to happen in Oregon at some point down the road. And I mean the... Uh, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, Masterfully played. A, a tremendous amount of differences in opinions, uh, especially during the election, which we're also going to discuss. You know, what is the best approach to fixing the transportation issue primarily surrounding the i-5 bridge and uh, that crossing is it a third crossing is it directly attempting to replace the current crossing uh, do we need lane expansions do we need we i mean well, i think it's agreed that we need some sort of partnership um, with the state of oregon but it's been interesting to just see people's differences and opinions uh candidates and now lawmakers there's, there's a commonality, but there's also tremendous differences in who's the problem, what's the problem, yeah. and it, it, just quite frankly, how do we have a you know intelligent conversation about it? Well, we, so. we know what the problem is in the sense of 278% increase in commute times for folks from Main Street to Jansen Beach on I-5 southbound in the morning. I mean, that's a huge that's incredible. thing. And that's just in the past, I believe four years um, and that you can blame a number of things you can say it's growth or you can say it's the the pullout of a lot of the shipping companies from uh, terminal six in portland and the issues they've had there that set a lot of that commercial traffic onto the freeways going north and southbound the fact of the matter is we have a problem the issue is going to be what to do about it and how do we fund that. We just went to a meeting that lawmakers from Southwest Washington had with some of the the folks from Oregon, and you saw sort of the bad blood there that still exists over the failure of the, the Columbia River Crossing project. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that Oregon very much felt like, okay, we came to the table with our money and you guys backed away and said we're not ready to do it. And now you see what an impact that's had. And now you're back here saying, yeah, let's go ahead and go forward. But we just in Oregon committed ourselves to what, six or eight years worth of transportation spending. We don't have the money right now. Yeah. So who knows where that's going to be? You've got a hundred plus year old bridge that's still going up and down and and causing all kinds of problems with traffic and all kinds of congestion. You know, then there's debates about, well, is that bridge really the problem or do we need a third crossing or do we need um, lane expansion, lane expansion? Do we need light rail, mass transit going across that bridge? Well, that was one of the things that I was is, I think, a polarizing difference between Oregon and Washington and Portland and Vancouver is the desire for a light rail addition to the updated crossing or additional crossing. The consensus that I've found in speaking with uh, the mayor of Vancouver and, and other uh, folks that are working um, in, in county council, city council, is that they're not very interested at all, at, not very interested, if at all, w- with a light rail crossing. Um, and I'm not really sure why that is, apart from 
the new introduction of the vine here is kind of uh, yeah, the last couple of years. Transit. You have the bus transit, so there's you know less interest in a new type of transit. So I'm curious to see if you experience a similar uh, interactions and what you think some of the causes there might be. Yeah, I, I, it's um, it's a huge expense to bring light rail across. That's one issue. So it, that's going to add largely to the cost of a bridge. Um, and you're right, bus rapid transit is potentially one option. There's going to be a ton of debate over do we have dedicated mass transit lanes? Do we have a dedicated lane for autonomous vehicles? How are we going to handle that part of the future? Sure. We're going to have these self-driving cars on the road. Uh, are those self-driving cars in and of themselves going to alleviate some of the congestion or will some of that congestion be relieved by other methods, whether that's more people working from home or, you know, so th there's a lot of debate there. We may see things change um, in the next few years. It's going to be, in, in my estimation, from sitting in on some of these meetings and hearing about some of the obstacles that lie ahead for any idea of a, of a new interstate bridge. We're looking five to 10 years down the road At before least. we can even start talking particulars. Now, there's nothing stopping them from sitting down and having a, a debate about what we want and what we need. And, you know, but we spent, you know, $190 million is what I heard from Washdot on the analysis to get to the preferred alternative of the Columbia River crossing, which was essentially a bridge with light rail and no added traffic capacity. Sure. Uh, that people on this side of the bridge said no thank you to and basically pushed to get it killed. Um, that's money that we eventually are going to have to pay back to the federal government yeah. unless we can prove to them that we have some sort of momentum going towards another project. So that's going to be interesting to see where that debate goes in 2019. Uh, a lot of the Oregon lawmakers said, you know, do we want to have this conversation again? No. But do we think it's necessary to continue to at least sit down occasionally? So there was no, you know, at the, the meeting uh, earlier this month, there was no date set for another meeting in 2019, but it sounded like there was consensus that they'd at least like to continue conversations. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, there's a lot of pressure to look again at the idea of a possible third crossing, whether we do that either before looking at the interstate bridge mm -hmm. or do we do that as part of an interstate bridge, <clears throat> excuse me, an interstate bridge replacement package uh, to say, we'll do this, but only if we then pursue a third crossing. So I'll be curious to see where that goes. We haven't even talked about the tolling in Oregon. That was another big issue. We were following ODOT's plan to uh, appeal to the federal government to allow them to toll parts of I-5 and I-205 uh, they have submitted that now to the Federal Highway Administration. So in 2019, we don't really have a timeline on how long that process will take. They can basically come back and say, yeah, go ahead. It looks good. Or no, we want you to change this or that. 2019 is going to be interesting to watch on the transportation front. Definitely. Well, we had one uh, heck of an election um, this uh, this past season. Oh, yeah, that happened, too. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Not quite, not quite as intense as 2016, but um, no, there were some interesting races. But though. it was definitely interesting, yeah. I think one of the key differences isn't that Republicans don't care about people; it's a how we care about people. Countywide, 
there are not really that many issues that are Democratic or Republican. They're providing safety and security to the, to the community. We say as a community, we want to create the economy of tomorrow with the future technology of tomorrow. Come here and invest in our community. They'll be here tomorrow. It's true that there may be a shift in, in the council. I'm not, I don't know that I agree that, uh, that we have to be all things to all people. And, and that transportation issue played a lot, I think, Huge. into uh, the 3rd Congressional District race. That was the, uh, the one that I think folks outside of Washington were probably watching the most closely. I'm going to laugh because there's people in D.C. scratching their heads saying, oh, how could this be so close? And, I'm, and this is the nature mm -hmm. of the folks here. Mm -hmm. This didn't actually didn't take me by surprise. I am pleasantly surprised that the numbers are where they are right now. Mm -hmm. Jamie Herrera-Butler and Carolyn Long. Uh, Herrera-Butler, obviously, the incumbent and looking for what her fifth term right i believe so i can never i for some reason i keep wanting to say fourth i believe it's fifth i think it is fifth we can fact check that later yeah. edit you can it all fact somehow. check it too check it too <laughs> um and it was a close race i mean ultimately uh what about a six and a half point difference yeah uh long did win clark county so it's interesting it's to see um sort of in that part of the district that there is a continued trend, I think, towards uh, more of a left-leaning as you see more urbanization, more infill, and that kind of stuff. You do tend to get those kinds of people. So that'll be interesting to see sort of where the political pendulum swings sure. in Clark County. Um, well, it's so also was, interesting to me, uh, speaking to a lot of younger voters, not realizing the true scope of the district um, and, and, you know, actually, cause I, I had the, uh, New York times actually did a fantastic updated poll for about a week and a half, two weeks. I think you're the one that showed it to me mm -hmm. of, you know, many, many congressional races, obviously this one being one of them. And I think they, uh, they called about 500 people to get, I think about a quarter of that in response or something. Or no, 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 sorry. They called about 15,000 people to get about 500 responses. My mistake. But, uh, showing some younger voters like an actual this is this is what your district looks like and they're like wow it's a lot bigger than i thought it was <laughs> um it was interesting to see because it, it's definitely a lot of that peripheral area is where that victory comes from the one race that we were all kind of watching for about a month after the election was the county chair race eileen quirine and eric holt quirine is the uh, district four counselor who ultimately won in that race but it went down to the to the last council went down to these challenged ballots yeah um, which i had never really looked that much into i found that to be an interesting element of the story in that you have ballots that that don't have valid signatures or missing signatures entirely uh and i believe there was about 2200 of those in a race that had a difference of at the end i want to say about 1600 votes so you know it, it was it was pretty close it never got within the recount amount which would have been within 2000 votes and half a percentage point it stayed just outside of that half a percentage point difference yeah i think it um, was like 0. 0.2 but it literally yeah. came down to the day that the, the wire the the ballots were uh, verified and, and that it, and certified that everything was uh, was decided today the day that we're recording this i just went to the swearing in ceremony for uh, eileen mm -hmm. uh, so she is now officially the council chair her seat uh, early next year, that'll be an interesting story to watch because the uh, county GOP, which just had a change in leadership as well, um, with Earl Bowerman taking over leadership there, um, 
is going to be naming, uh, I think they pick three different candidates and then the council votes on those candidates. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see who is put forward. We have rumors of some names. Ken Vance, our editor, is working on that story. So yeah. I'm going to let him break that news when yeah. we find out the <laughs> names that they're putting forward. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. And obviously uh, Temple Lentz, who uh, unseated Jeannie Stewart in District 1, who is uh, a registered Democrat? So the only one on the, the only uh, one on the council. council at this point. So it will be interesting to see sort of how this council balances out. You have uh, Julie Olson and John Blum, who are Republican but more center of the road Republican. Yeah. You have Eileen, who tends to be pretty hard right. Uh, I have to assume whoever is assigned to fill her seat will probably be more center of the road. That'll be an interesting one to watch because of the fact that you have a fairly balanced rest of the council. It'll sure. be interesting to see who they would vote for. So it's going to be interesting to see how this council plays out going into 2019, and we'll be watching that. Definitely. Am I missing anything on the election front? I don't think so. I mean, uh, we did. <laughs> we did a uh, lot of write-ups. We did. We did. There was a, a lot of open houses, a lot of forums. Uh, very nice to see... Um, Heritage High School trying to make it a tradition with their AP government Mm -hmm. uh, program to do forums with as many candidates as possible um, every election season um, is is their hope at that school. And so um, we got to cover that forum. And that was one of the largest ones we were able to attend, had the pretty much the largest variety of candidates apart from election night itself. Um, So a a good growth in interest in uh, the political environment in Clark County. I think we're on the uptick. That was nice to see and experience. I've recently returned to this county um, from other parts of the state that I was living in for the last few years. So to come back and see that um, and see a healthy um, political process for the most part. And then, of course, we had this story. Three. No, I won't go in. Two. Well, she's saying no. No, I just... Ready? Oh, that's so... That, of course, the sound of... uh... Social media blowing up, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, the the Molten Falls incident has its kind of become known um, on the street. Yes, sixteen year old Jordan Holgerson being shoved from Molten Falls Bridge into the Lewis River, sixty uh, foot drop, and uh, that story blew up on our social media feed like nothing I've seen before or since is definitely the uh the viral story of the year i just don't suggest you know going up to a 60 foot high bridge yes don't climb up there it just it sort of echoes the the narrative of how important social media is becoming uh, to news and to stories uh if you if you look apart and you separate from what the story is for a second um just that video is initially of, of her being pushed off the bridge was initially sourced on either Instagram or Snapchat. We, we have to figure out exactly, but it very quickly migrated to pretty much every social media platform. And then of course, from there migrated to most local news sources. Local, and then from there national, exploded yeah. to national news TMZ sources. He picked the story. Yeah. ABC so news. it's pretty much, it was everywhere. Um, it was a little surreal to see, you know, something like this, obviously a, uh, unfortunate event to have to be uh, the story that, that that moved to that level, but uh, definitely an interesting uh, incident. Um, I mean, that bridge has been there forever. 
Um, this can't have been the first time something like this has happened. So, you know. Yeah. So you had the story of, you know, here she is. She's there with some friends. She Survived. had never jumped from the bridge before, yeah. decided maybe she wanted to try it. So she's standing there. She's hesitating. You see this in the video. And, uh, and then a woman standing next to her shoves her and she falls in. She suffered some severe injuries, broken ribs. Yeah, she had a you know, collapsed lung, lots bruising. Of bruising, yeah. Was in the hospitalized for a while. We talked to her in the hospital. Um, she is she has since gone home. Uh, 18-year-old Taylor Smith, a friend of the family, is the one who's uh, facing reckless endangerment. And so she is. She was in court, um, I believe, earlier this month or late last month, uh, has pleaded uh, not guilty and waived her right to a speedy trial. Um, I just saw a story with uh, Jordan recently in ABC News where she was basically saying that Taylor hasn't apologized, that she feels like she hasn't had justice, that she is making it difficult and trying to fight this. Um, she's supposed to be back in court again in February, so it'll be interesting to, to kind of follow that story and see where it ultimately ends up. But a lot of interpersonal drama. And that was just, you know, the one element of the story. The more interesting part, I think, from our perspective was just to see the way people reacted to it, sort of the visceral reaction. I never had to Definitely. hide so many comments on our yeah. Facebook page in my life. I don't know where a lot of people were finding the, the story that leaked back to our Facebook page. Uh, we initially had a lot of them had Instagram filters as their pictures. So I'm assuming that that's where it was from. Yeah. Sort of that oddity of social media where every once in a while you have a post that just somebody shares it and it becomes. Yeah. Well, especially if it's something, you know, takes on a life of its own. That is in the, the microcosm of like a high school environment. Most of these kids are all from this area and, you know, all go to high school together and it kind of just. Well, you, illust- you, you said yeah. it illustrated the um, sort of how important social media has become, but it also, to me as a reporter, illustrated how how many dangers there yeah, are to social media because is. there were a lot. Definitely. There were names being thrown out. There was a lot of conjecture being thrown out, a lot of misinformation, misinformation sure. about who this person was that shoved her and why, and you know, the, most of which turned out not to be true. Definitely, yeah. You know, and it it definitely shows how careful you have to be i think in this modern age as a reporter at ferreting out that information and digging through it and trying to understand is this somebody just throwing rumors out there or do they know something and can we talk to them you know so definitely (laughs) yeah it's a it's a it's a bit of a minefield a little yeah minefield is a perfect word to describe it so uh speaking of social media and minefields minefields (laughs) and conjecture uh, our number one story. Before we get to that, though, I got to mention, we, we did our... So go back and listen to, to episode one of The yeah. Insider. That was really the big story in sports. We, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, oh, obviously, the uh, Union Titans and the Hawkins and Hawks champions. winning state champions yeah. in their divisions. Uh, Hawkins and Hawks obviously repeating. Um, in the wake of that, there's been some Player of the Year awards yep. handed out to some of the players on those teams. Paul Valencia is doing a fantastic job uh, following just about every single angle there. He works um, hard. He does. He does. We um, love you, Paul. I, I've been tipped off that they're going to be. He's going to be doing his own year in review uh, yeah, wrap up sports year in review. Yeah. So check that out at ClarkCountyToday.com. A big year, biggest year I think, at least for uh, in recent history, local yeah. high school football. Uh, the Clark County has seen. Moving on, obviously, the teacher strike. Um, that pitted a lot of folks against each other. Yeah, it did. 
our goal for going into this is um, to get a fair contract for our teachers. We want to be comparable and competitive with the surrounding districts and in order to do that we need to demand all of the money, the 9.6 million that was sent down from the state to meet the needs of the teacher salaries. So we had uh, just to so walk you back a little bit obviously we had the McCleary decision by the state Supreme Court that essentially said the state wasn't living up to its obligation to fully fund basic education. That was a decision handed down I believe in 2012. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, the legislature passed one education funding package and then basically finally earlier this year fully funded basic education. The way they did that was essentially to take local districts have been funding teachers and added teacher salary through local operation levies. Yeah. And so the state basically said, well, we don't want you doing that. We want to satisfy the Supreme Court, we need to be the ones fully funding basic education. So what they did is they capped local dollars. They said you can only charge this much in your local operations levy, your enrichment levies, and we're going to raise the statewide property tax in order to pay for the added uh, cost of education. And what that led to was a huge debate between the Washington Education Association, the statewide union that represents teachers, and the local teachers' unions, the different education association and association of educators that you yeah. have, uh, that basically said, okay, well, the state assigned this money to go to teacher salaries, which in essence they did. So you ended up with just a firestorm of districts across the state facing demands by teachers for 15 to 25% pay increases. That boiled over, especially in Battleground, to a very long-running strike that delayed the start of the school year for two weeks, I believe, in Battleground. Pretty close to two weeks, yeah. A lot of the other districts settled sooner than that. And it will lead, I think, in 2019 to more debate at the state level about whether some fixes need to be made because you had a lot of districts that said we're losers in this essentially because we're losing a ton of local dollars and we're not getting as much in state dollars to pay our teachers as we would otherwise have this all gets very mathy but we didn't if you go back and find a piece that we did with the center school district we sat down with the superintendent there dave holmes and we sat down with their education association president, who's also a teacher. And they both said, basically what happened is we have a high, what they call a staff mix. The mm -hmm. higher your staff mix, the higher number of highly educated, highly experienced teachers you have. Sure. But the state is only paying a base amount for every teacher. So the state says, we're going to pay you an average of this amount. You have this many teachers. We're going to pay you this much. It's a very complicated issue. We, we did the best we could to, to try and explain this as we went along and do it fairly and explain both sides. I thought that was one of my favorite articles because you had both sides sitting down and saying, we would love to pay our teachers more because we need to compete with other districts that are in our area. But here's where we landed on this and why we can't demand that. And the teachers were very fair about saying... We'd love to be on strike and demanding more, but we can't because there's only so much money to go around. 
social media was blowing up over that one. People were taking sides. People were, were squaring off. It was very divisive in the battleground area. Um, still is. Still something that people haven't come to terms with. And I think it's going to be something that as we... Because a lot of these places only settle for one-year contracts. Sure. So next year, next summer... Are we going to have a similar situation? It's going to be another debate. So... For sure. And I mean, it's it's something that's going to definitely impact these communities uh, and they're going to have to sort of weather the storm. Uh, La Center, as you said, being the only one that didn't go through it. Ridgefield having a little bit less of an ugly process, just uh, to, to, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, but it's definitely a healing process that will be revisited in the new year. We ended so. up in court in Battlegrounds. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, that, that one, the Battleground School District, I live in Battleground, full disclosure. So I get sort of face to face with a lot of this stuff a lot of times. I don't have yeah. kids in the school district yet, but, um, you know, you also had the story of the, the building bond failing twice out there this year. And they're probably going to be back again next year. They haven't made a decision on that. But now they're having to go through the process of dealing with overcrowding issues and redistricting and, you know, redrawing boundaries and shifting kids around. And Sure. Um, you know, so there's a lot that's going to be happening there. That's Most of those decisions are expected to come down in January. That's going to be a big story. So uh, I think uh, you saw through this year, and, and we've just touched on sort of a, a, an arbitrary list of the top five most reacted to stories sure if you go and look at at ken's piece he does a good job of running down you know a much longer list of stories but most of those stories that you see on there they have no end in sight no and we're going to be continuing to follow them 2019 is going to be even bigger and better and i think that you're going to see a lot of these stories sort of come back up bubble back up we have the chalachi prairie uh, freight rail dependent development story in Brush Prairie that folks got all up in arms about out there and they press pause on it until the new council gets in, but that's going to come up and there's a lot of stories that, that we got to keep following. Definitely a lot heading heading your way. So, uh, well, uh, thanks for taking the time uh, to, uh, to listen to this recap and sort of uh, dig in with us to what this year has been and uh, oh, what a year it has been. So I know what a year it will be. Tis the truth. I'm Chris Brown. And I'm Jacob Graneman. Thank you so much for listening to The Insider at ClarkCountyToday.com. Happy New Year. 